This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by brilliant journalist and thought leader Jacob Emerson. And Jacob follows the area of payers in healthcare. And what an interesting era for payers as you know, two of the largest five companies in America, CVS Health, United Healthcare, are payers. Jacob, tell us what you're watching out there. What's happening in this world of payers and, and in healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on, Scott. And I think that's a great way to say it. It's a very interesting era. You mentioned United and uh, CVS. And yeah, they are technically payers, but I guess that's really just because they have large insurance companies uh, as part of their groups. But at the end of the day, they do a lot of other things, too, which is interesting to watch. Um, but, but I thought that one thing we should talk about, especially as we're in the new year, is some new price transparency requirements from CMS that went into effect on January 1st for all payers. And the context here is that since July 1st of last year, all insurance companies have been required to disclose in-network rates for covered items and services that they've negotiated with providers. So in other words, how much a service will cost you at a specific hospital under a specific health plan. And hospitals themselves have been required to release that data since about 2021. What what does that mean for payers and health systems? And what will this mean for transparency? What will this mean for negotiations? What does this all mean? Because I, I see it from a consumer standpoint, where at least as of yet, it's almost like the original introduction of electronic medical records. It took a while for consumers to start to see how this would actually impact them and help them and all that kind of stuff. Yep. It seems like it's a long road to this actually has an impact, a real impact, positive impact. I get the idea, but it does seem like it's a long road to where and when it actually has the positive impact for consumers that we really want it to be. And are there overwhelming market forces like shortages of doctors, nurses, staff, all those kinds of things that mean this is informative, but not necessarily helpful? There's not a lot much we could do about these prices. What, yes. what, how do you see some of this, Jacob? No, you're absolutely correct. It's a, it's a very complicated issue, a lot of different moving parts here and a lot of different conversations we could have. But I guess the, the easiest way to explain it really right now is that we can tell cash prices for specific services. Um, so, for example, Scott, for childbirth in New York State, I talked to one of these companies that's looking through all this payer data and under a Fidelis plan, which is a Centene plan, you'd pay anywhere from $3,400 at Ellis Hospital in Schenectady for childbirth or you'd pay all the way up to $5,400 at Maimonides Medical Center in Brooklyn. That's for the exact same service under the exact same health plan, but just in different parts of the state. Anybody can see that right now. Um, but, but let so me you ask you a question that, on that. Let me ask sure, you a question sure. on that. The 3400 versus $5,400, is that the out-of-pocket to the consumer, or is that just what yeah. the hospital charges the payer? That is what the hospital charges the payer. So. Basically, what happened this year is that payers had to begin providing an internet-based price comparison tool that allows their members to receive an estimate for that specific item or that service from the specific provider, uh, and that's for 500 items and services. Obviously, they cover a lot more than just 500 things, so those price comparison tools have to include all services, including prescription drug prices, by 2024. And it is important to know that the vast majority of payers are in compliance with this. Um, I think it's like way over 90% are in compliance. So that's not really a problem. And in, 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 in the payers, unlike hospital health systems, have these vast resources. This is the business they're in of technology right. and, and these kinds of things. So easier for them to do it, at least the large ones, at least theoretically, than many, many houses that just don't have the resources to, to, to work through some of this stuff. 
but like, so a patient sees that 5,400 versus 3,400. And then that in itself is directionally helpful, but depending on the patient's co-payment, deductible, and so forth, exactly. it may or may not exactly. really matter to the patient. So how does this then translate exactly. down to a patient making a choice? I should be at one system versus the other, at least on price exactly. standpoint, because then you're then you're once you get past price standpoint, they're still going to make a decision. You know, my OB gynae goes there or there, or this hospital's got is a much better quality mm-hmm. hospital than that hospital. But but how does this translate now into the patient looking at, you know, what is what does this actually cost me? Yeah, yeah, no, you hit it on the head. Um, I I talked a few months ago to a former executive at CVS Health and also at PBM at their PBM Caremark. She now runs a private data company. She said part of the problem with this payer data is that, exactly, Scott, even if a consumer product existed right now to search through all of it, it'd be very difficult to find the specific plan name at the group level. Uh, providers typically don't bill, send you a bill for one service with a single dollar amount at the end. And then at, at the end of the day, the, the prices of services can change based on things like a deductible or HSA savings and things like that. So it's not necessarily a healthcare consumer revolution like we've seen some people say it is but it does reveal what basic cash prices for most services are around you. And, and what we've seen develop from that is that employers have already started to use this data when they're renegotiating their contracts for employee health benefits uh, because they know within their specific regions or within cities generally what is going to be cheaper for them uh, in terms of the hospital systems or the payers that they contract with. Not, not to down to the exact penny, but they can get a pretty good idea about who's going to save them more money based off of this data. And your point is really well taken because many, many, for many, many employers, the payers are a processing firm, a TPA versus actually an insurer other than right. above a certain amount. And so right. them knowing, look, our payers got a much better rate at that hospital versus that hospital, they might really try and work towards a more closed network in their own plans so that they're more focused on less expensive health systems. Um, and, th- and this has been a constant evolution over the years, too. I know in Chicago, and you're in Chicago, I believe, the right. the, 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 right. the the sort of premier health system above all others in the city for the long run was Northwestern. And mm-hmm. what Northwestern was able to sort of maintain a situation where Blue Cross or payers had to have Northwestern in network at least for a certain part of the affluent community, because affluent community believes that was the only health system. So companies had this huge pressure to make sure whatever plan they used had Northwestern in it, even if, for example, childbirth would have been cheaper at one of the other local systems. I mean, and again, Northwestern is an easy example. There's other great systems in Chicago, Rush in Chicago, Advocate Northwestern University Health System and others. But but Northwestern always stood out is sort of you had to have them in your health plan. And then Northwestern was periodically in these big contract disputes because they demanded higher prices because they had that premium position in the market. And so it, it, you still end up in a situation where an employer would have to like in the situation you just talked about, Mamonides and another system, I don't remember the names, one's fifty four hundred, one's thirty four hundred, but the employer would still have to be comfortable that they're not gonna have a rebellion on their hands amongst employees if they didn't keep one of them in their network, because yep. the yep. more expensive one in the network, they got to make sure that it's actually, you still have the right network. And, and it, it really has become challenging for, you know, now when we change health plans, it used to be simple enough that we try and check in the new health plan, are my doctors in that health plan? And that's a key issue. And it's become even more complex to do a lot of that too, hasn't it? I mean, it's not, it's not any oh, easier than it yeah. was 10 years ago, it seems like. 
No, absolutely not. But like you said, it's 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 an evolving process here. And I've even heard of some um, of these third-party data companies that have uh, created like lists. Uh, what's the 10 most used uh, healthcare services in the country? Here's here's a, uh, a comprehensive list of which provider in your region has the best negotiated rates for these most for these 10 most used um, services. And then maybe you want to contract with that payer, uh, you the employer. Uh, because you know that they've got the best rates for at least the most commonly used services. So I think it's made more just it's another tool in the toolbox to get us closer to what are the real prices for these services. But Jacob, you just mentioned that it's really, really important is that for so many of these services, it's like the old Pareto principle, Pareto principle or 80-20 rule, it's 20% of the services that are the most used, the most expensive, that cause the most impact on the health cost cost that, that that an employer covers. So if you could really focus on those 10, 20 things, and obviously it's more complicated because some of those are long-term conditions like cancer and so on and so on. Right, exactly. Yeah. And really pick the right hospitals, the right prices for those, the right houses, the right prices for those. Maybe you really can make a dent in this. But no, I, I think what you're talking about is just absolutely fascinating. And again, it, you know, when United first started to acquire Optum, I was skeptical. When CVS started to acquire mm -hmm. Aetna, I was skeptical. Whoever runs those businesses was clearly far, far, far more right and correct than my skepticism would have allowed. <laughs> but, but when I see these price transparency efforts, it seems so disconnected from the consumer experience still. Yeah. I'm skeptical, yeah. but, but, I, but I am at least wise enough to understand my skepticism has been, you know, been mis mis misguided before, and over time, this might actually have some impact, or maybe it'll at least have impact in health plan negotiations or health or company negotiations, and trying to define their networks. But what a fascinating situation, yeah. Jacob. I want to thank you for joining us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. It is always just brilliant to visit with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Scott. Good to speak with you.